uh, want to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be on the gas a little bit today because what we want to do at the end of our service uh, with the next generation is we pray over our young people. But I don't want to go so fast that we miss out on what God would have us to get uh, out of his word. If you're new with us today, uh, we have been in a series, uh, and we are finishing this series up next week, called Unshakable. We are building an unshakable faith. Uh, what we've done so far is we've journeyed through Hebrews chapter 11, this powerful chapter on, on man, the hall of faith on these men and women who've come before us and gone before us who God has used in, in mighty ways, in impactful ways. And we've seen the benefits of their faith. We've seen the way that God used their faith. We've also seen last week that sometimes things don't go the way we want them to here on earth. Uh, and that just because our circumstances are challenging, just because things are difficult, doesn't necessarily mean there was something wrong with our faith. In fact, sometimes it means that there was something right with our faith. God commends this faith of these who, who suffered, the faith of these who didn't see the promise come to fruition in their lifetime because they were looking forward to something better. Next week, we're going to get to the, the real foundational verses of this series. We're kind of bringing it to a crescendo, bringing it to an end as we look at the, this section on this unshakable faith on receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, and those verses inspired this foundational quote that we have used the last few weeks. It's from a man named James Bryan Smith, and he said this. He says, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Um, go ahead and put that quote up if you don't mind. He says, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And then he closes it with this, man, just incredible statement. He says, the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither am I. And I, I want you to just receive that into your spirit. As a believer, man, regardless of what happens to the economy, regardless of what happens with the election, regardless of whether your candidate gets nominated or not, regardless what, what happens in your workplace, man, things on earth can go sideways. Things on earth are broken and are fallen, and we can look at all this stuff out in the world and get so frustrated with it and, and so angry with it, and I get it. But receive this peace. Receive this joy. It didn't surprise God. It's not catching him off guard. It didn't throw his kingdom for a loop. He's okay. His kingdom is okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It cannot be shaken. It has a rock-solid foundation, the rock of ages. And if God's kingdom is okay, and I'm receiving that kingdom, I'm part of that kingdom, I'm going to be okay too. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're, we're doing over these few weeks is we're, we're discovering this concept of how to build an unshakable faith. What we've been doing is journeying verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, just scratched the surface of chapter 12 last week. Today we're going to read a, a few verses that may seem a little bit disconnected from this faith idea, but I promise that they're not. We'll connect them and you'll see how the context fits. In 11, the author of Hebrews builds this foundation for us of what this incredible faith is. At the end of 12 next week, he's going to bring it to a head, talking about this unshakable kingdom and, and explaining how the same way that these saints of old had an unshakable faith, that the people he's writing to, these Hebrews, who, who, who are, they're shaking a little bit in their faith. 
I don't know if you've ever shaken in your faith. They, they've received some persecution. They, they, they've received some pushback. And they're starting to wonder, is this stuff worth it? I, I wonder what kind of things might shake your faith. Maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's the financial struggle. Maybe it's a habit you can't get rid of. Maybe it's your children, Miss Teresa says. We're going to pray over all the young people at the end of service, okay? Hallelujah. Maybe it's the mistakes or the actions of somebody you looked up to in the faith. Saw this recently that, that, that really fired me up. Um, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, you know he baptized people? You know, he was sent out as a witness to Christ, and so presumably people responded as he witnessed. Can you imagine Judas brings you to Jesus, and then Judas betrays Jesus? How that might send some mixed signals to you? Now, when I was in middle school, I, I got fired up for God, and, and I started leading my friends to Jesus, and God did this incredible thing, and not real long after that, I rebelled, and I ran from the faith for a little while, and I made a total hypocrite of myself. And the faith of the people that I brought to Jesus, it got shaken because the person who brought them wasn't who they thought he was. Okay? Can I just encourage you? I don't care who pointed you to Jesus. I don't care who brought you to Jesus. I don't care who introduced you to Jesus. Your faith is not built on that person. Your faith is built on Jesus Christ. People will let us down. People will fail. Pastors will fall. Worship leaders will become hypocrites, right? Like we can see all this stuff where all these people we once looked up to, turns out they didn't have the faith we thought they did. And if our faith is built on them, it will be shaken. My faith can't be built on my parents, right? I love my parents, and I'm grateful for my parents, but if that's where my faith is, and my mom passes away, now where's my faith? So the author of Hebrews is challenging them. He's inspiring them. You got to build your faith on something else. You got to build your faith on something better. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're journeying through. So join me today in Hebrews chapter 12 as we see what, what seems maybe disconnected to this concept, but I promise you it's going to connect. Starting in verse 4, it says, in your struggle, everybody say the struggle. In your struggle against sin, he recognizes there's a struggle. You're free to struggle. There's going to be a struggle. You're not going to have it all mastered. You don't come to Jesus and all of a sudden all those desires go away. That would be nice. That would, be, that, that would be convenient, right? Sometimes we project that kind of faith that, man, just come to Jesus and everything's okay. <laughs> what Hunter say? He, he says sometimes when God's up to something big, the enemy's up to something too, right? Man, you don't, you don't come to Jesus and everything becomes okay. You come to Jesus and everything ends okay. You see the difference? The promise of Jesus is that it's all going to be okay at the end, but he never promised it's all going to be okay today. And so he says, hey, in your struggle against sin, he challenges them. He corrects them. He says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What's he saying? He's saying, Jesus shed his blood for your sin. You're not doing that. He's pointing to something better. You don't have this mastered on your own. You haven't figured this out. I know one who did shed his blood for your sin, but it wasn't you, Right? And so then he says, and you have, com have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, 
Look at this. He says, this is a word of encouragement. So I want you to receive this in the, in the tone it's intended. Because there's a way to receive this and it's not encouraging. But, but listen to what it says. It says, my son, you can say my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Everybody say discipline. discipline. Did that hurt? I don't like that word, do we? It says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Praise God. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The first thing I want you to write down this morning is this. Don't let discipline shake your faith. Don't let discipline shake your faith. The reality is there's going to be some discipline in the faith. How many of y'all have been Christians long enough? You know, you know you've, you've experienced some discipline. There's going to be some discipline. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them, presumably because they're experiencing some discipline right now. Their, their faith is shaking. Their faith's been built on something less than Jesus, and it's starting to waver, and they're feeling that discipline right now. And so he says, when you're disciplined, understand this encouragement. Don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Verse 6, because... The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Have you received some discipline from the Lord? Praise God. It's an expression of his love. It's an expression of his care. Now, I don't know about you. When I receive discipline, I'm not like, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise Jesus. I love you too, God. Right? Like, that's not usually my immediate response. I don't like it. I cower from it. I run from it. I push back against it. I have this internal lawyer that wants to go to my defense and tell God all the reasons why the thing he's dealing with isn't really my fault. God, you got the wrong one, right? I know that, God. I've read that verse, God. I know. I understand. But, but you don't understand, right? I mean, no, God understands. There, there's no part of the situation that he's unaware of. There's no part of my motivations that he just he is waiting to discover for me to bring to him to say, oh, my bad. You know, I was wrong. You're right. He disciplines the one he loves. You know God loves you? We love that, don't we? We stand on that. We claim that. We proclaim that. If you claim God loves me, if you stand on that and receive it, you are at the same time receiving God's going to discipline me. He's going to discipline me. And then it says, and he chastens everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone, everyone that he accepts as his son. Again, we could use daughter here as well. If he accepts you into his family, he's going to chastise you. He's going to chasten you. Now, there's two different Greek words used here uh, in this verse 6 that we need to be aware of. The first one is this. It's disciplines. Uh, and we see this throughout this passage. We're going to see different versions of this word. But this word is paiduo. Everybody say paiduo. It's like two pies. Paiduo. Okay? Um, a little more excited for it now, right? Hallelujah. Paiduo means to train, to instruct. It's used in the ancient Greek 2,000 years ago. It was used to describe what you do with a child, to raise up a child, to train up a child, uh, to, to, to make sure the child knows right from wrong. You would instruct him. You would discipline the child. Uh, it's also used to describe what you would do to stay healthy. 
the, the discipline of training the body. The, the Greeks were very serious about athletic training. They're the ones, of course, way back then that, that created the Olympics, right? And, and so there was a discipline that came with being in shape. Now, that's not fun. It's not convenient. It's not easy. How are we talking about this on the day we're giving away donuts? Um, we got mixed messages here, Pastor Troy. Um, Paiduo. It means to, to help develop discipline in someone. Did you know that discipline and disciple come from the same word? You want to be a disciple? I don't want to just be a fan of Jesus. I, I don't want to just be somebody who, who likes Jesus from a distance. He's invited me to come and follow him and be his disciple. Man, it sounds good to be a disciple until you realize a disciple means you have to develop discipline. I don't become like Jesus by accident. I become like Jesus through discipline, and discipline isn't always fun, but it's always important. So paiduo, most of the time you're going to see discipline uh, over these next few verses. It's either paiduo or a different version of paiduo. It's, it's the past tense. It's, there's a bunch of different words, uh, variations of paiduo. But that's the essence of what is being talked here. However, verse 6 also says the Lord chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And that word chastens is a different Greek word. It's mastigao. Mastigao. Mastigao means to scourge or to flog. So disciple, discipline is, is, is a little more kind, a little more loving. Sometimes... Discipline's going to have to hurt. One of the reasons, why, by the way, why I, I do believe that spanking is biblical, because it makes this picture of, man, sometimes God has to, has to scourge. Sometimes there's a flogging. And that cuts against some of our theology, and I get it. So it I, don't, I don't love that theologically myself, but, but God loves me enough when I'm getting far enough away from what he's called me to, far enough away where it's, I'm going to hurt myself, he would rather hurt me less painfully, more lovingly, more immediately, and more short-term to get me back where I need to be than to let me go get run over by the car, right? Like, like the parent who, who spanks their kid. No, when I say stop in the parking lot, I, this is not a suggestion. This is not on the once we get inside. This is right now. There's, there's an immediate danger and if you don't understand that, I got to get your attention. And I'm not doing it because I want to. I'm not doing it out of anger. And this is where spanking can fail because sometimes we do. And you got to keep your heart right as a parent. You got to have the right motivations and deal with that uh, and, and make sure you're doing it out of the right. I'm doing this because I love you, because I'm protecting you, not because my ego got hurt. I'm the dad. Who do you think you are? Right? If, if I'm disciplining out of that, that's not love. Now, it might be love, but it ain't loving your kid. It's loving yourself, right? And so God never disciplines us because he's insulted. God never disciplines us because he's like, how dare you insult me? I'm God. He disciplines us because he loves us and he wants to protect us. So the majority of this as we talk about discipline is, is a little more light. It's a little more general direction and instruction and, and just discipleship. But there is an element to this where sometimes it's going to hurt. That's not my favorite thing to preach. 
That's what the word says. Man, that God mastigaos, he scourges those that he accepts as his child. There's a time where it is going to sting. And we'll talk a little bit more at the end of service what that can be. All right. Moving forward, verse 7. It says endure. Everybody say endure. Endure. Endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. Why? God is treating you as his children. He's treating you as his kids. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Wow. Now, in our culture, this isn't as relevant of an illustration as it was back then, because in our culture, we got a lot of fatherless kids. We got a, we got a lot of kids who don't know their dad. Who didn't grow up with a father. We got another group of young people who have a father who just doesn't discipline. Man, just lets them do whatever they may want to do. And so this illustration that made so much sense 2,000 years ago has lost some of its impact today. Listen to what verse 8 says. It says, if you are not disciplined and everyone, everybody say, that's me. That's me. Everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Praise God, I've been disciplined. I made the cut. I'm in the family. I'm in the inheritance, right? I got the name. I've been adopted in. I'm not an illegitimate child. I'm, I'm part of his family because I've been disciplined. And so it starts to change our perspective of what discipline may be. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Again, we can't all necessarily relate to that now, but this is God's design. It's the way that it's supposed to work. Uh, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Submission to discipline brings life. It stings. And we got the choice, am I going to receive this or am I not? Now, here's the thing about God's discipline. You can run from it if you want to. Anybody ever run from God's discipline? Anybody ever, ever turned and went the opposite direction when God's discipline showed up? Most of us. Some of us like two hands and a foot, right? Like every time. Uh, I'm still I'm doing it right now, right? If you receive it, it gets over a lot more quickly. And it brings life. Verse 10, referring again to the earthly fathers, says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. God's discipline is for your good. Why? In order that we may share in his holiness. Holiness is not the strength of this generation of believers. We're good at God's love. We're good at redemption. We're good at forgiveness. And that's a great thing. I'm not trying to discount those things. I'm so grateful that this generation has a better understanding of the love of God than many generations that have come before us. I'm so grateful that this generation has a better understanding of second chances, of a God who doesn't give up on us. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's his character. But one thing we may have lost in that exchange is a passion for holiness. What is holiness? It's set-apartness. 
It's not looking like the world. It's not being like everyone else. We serve a God who is holy, who is so holy that around his throne 24-7, 365, through eternity, there are eternal beings that are just shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not loving, loving, loving. Not forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. Not gracious, gracious, gracious. All those things are true. And all those things could be declared about him. But in God's presence, the overwhelming character that transcends it all is, oh my goodness, he's so holy. He's so different. He's so other. He's so set apart. His holiness transcends. And now he's invited us into his holiness. And he's credited his holiness to our account. He's given us Jesus' holiness. So we're not living holy lives to earn God's favor, to earn God's love, to earn our place in heaven. You can never do that. He's already given it to you. Now we're living holy lives because we recognize how much we love him and how much we want to be like him. So we pursue his character and his character is holy. I don't know about you, sometimes I need to be reminded that I'm called to holiness. That I'm called to be set apart. God loves you so much that he sent his holy spirit to live in you to enable you to be like him. You can't do it on your own. You'll never do it on your own. This is not a, you're terrible because you're not living a holy life message. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God's inviting us to something better, and he's empowered us to that. He never asks us to something. He never calls us to a level that he doesn't make available to us through his Holy Spirit. So we can't make an excuse and say, no, I'll be holy in the next life. I mean, not holiness, that's for somebody else. That's not my gift. I'll be honest, holiness ain't nobody's gift. Uh, I'm not, and I'm, uh, there's self-righteousness. Some people, I think, have that gift. Uh, but that's different than holiness. Okay? He's called us to holiness. And it's not a gift. It takes discipline. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it hurts. Write this down if you're taking notes. God's discipline shakes what needs to be shaken. You see, there's some stuff that we don't want to let be shaken. Our faith cannot be shaken. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But in the midst of that thing that cannot be shaken, there's some stuff that God's going to shake. Last week we saw it, right, at the, at the beginning of Hebrews 12, that, that we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the author and the finisher, the originator, the creator of our faith. And what are we going to do? We're, we're going to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What's that? That's the stuff that's got to be shaken. Now, ideally, we throw that stuff off on our own, and God don't have to deal with it. Ideally, we look into the Word, and we see what God's calling to us. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we recognize when he says, hey, don't mess with this. Hey, leave that behind. Hey, that's not my best for you right now in this season. Let's set that aside for right now so we can focus on this. Ideally, we receive all that on our own, and God doesn't have to touch it. But if we won't let go of it, then he'll shake it off. Because he loves us. Because he's not content to leave us where we are. He loves us where we are. But he knows I got something better for you. Keep moving towards it. Keep pursuing it. Keep believing for it. Verse 11. We're almost done with our section today. Going through verse 13. says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. 
Yes, author of Hebrews, I'm with you now. You lost me there for a minute, but we're back on track. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. That first week back in the gym, you're walking around sore, right? You don't love that when you, when you turn away from the donut and everybody else is having it. Okay, now, we, now we're convinced of those mixed messages again, uh, right? What? It's not pleasant at the time. It's painful. Later on, however... Here's, I'm convinced, one of our biggest challenges. We live in an immediate culture, a culture of instantaneous satisfaction. And God's kingdom is not a kingdom of instantaneous satisfaction. God's kingdom is a kingdom of time-release satisfaction, where you sow seed, and later on you reap harvest. Most of us don't like to farm, right? We are not an agricultural community anymore. We let companies take care of that for us. We let somebody else do that. That's too much work. It's too hot. We live in Mississippi. Like, man, I can barely go out long enough to, like, water two flowers, right? Like, it's, it's rough out there. God's kingdom is not a microwave kingdom. It's not a smartphone kingdom. It's not a kingdom where you get everything you want as soon as you want it. It's not a DoorDash kingdom. And most of us ain't even got enough patience for DoorDash. We're like, really? It's been 35 minutes. Where you been? Right? I wish I could edit the tip that I put on there because it was supposed to be $7, but you only earned three. Right? Like, that's, that's our attitude sometimes. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however. Not now. Not while you're going through it. Not while you're dealing with it, but later on it produces. Praise God, his discipline produces something. It produces a harvest. A harvest of what? A blessing, a financial provision of all the great things. Maybe not. It's not the promise. Sometimes it will. But that's not what he's teaching on. He says later on it produces a harvest of what? Of righteousness and peace. Now, our culture may not always be drawn to righteousness, but I know we are a generation that is seeking some peace. We are a generation wrapped up in anxiety and depression and discouragement, and we need some peace. And so I hope you're drawn to righteousness. I hope the Holy Spirit inside of you, when it says, hey, it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness, you're like, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I need that. But I can just about guarantee you there's a part of you that says, yeah, I want some peace. Yeah, I need more peace. I need more peace in the midst of my situation right now. I need more peace because of what's going on with my children, right? I I need more peace because of what's going on at work. I need more peace because of what's going on in me. We don't even know sometimes why we're anxious or why we're stressed, but but it's just there. There's so much in our culture that produces that under the surface. And we have a God who says, if you'll receive and endure my discipline, it's going to produce a harvest of peace. For who? For those who have been trained by it. we got to be trained. we got to be willing to be trained. Verse 12. Therefore, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I don't know how many of you guys know Corey Pilcher. He comes to second service. But uh, about 10 days ago, he tore his ACL. Uh, he, he's in the Navy. He was doing some stuff, and, uh, and he tore his ACL, and he texted me, and he's pretty bummed and, and, and pretty discouraged. And then I gave the homework last Sunday. Hey, read 
Hebrews 12. And so Tuesday, he texts me. He's doing his homework, and he's like, God got jokes. <laughs> Strengthen your weak knees. Uh, he's like, who? He received, you know, God's got a sense of humor. You know, it's okay to laugh in church, right? God's called us to holiness, but holiness doesn't mean lack of joy. Holiness doesn't mean that we got to be all so serious all the time. I loved it that he read that into it. He's like, man, God called me to strengthen my weak knees. I was like, bro, go get a brace, right? <laughs> Sometimes your weak knees, like you got to wait for surgery. Uh, you have to wait for the doctor to get that knee. I tore my ACL back in, in like 2010, so I, I've been there. So I got to identify with him and relate to him and, and laugh at him. Uh, and <laughs> In a loving bro way. Uh, I love that he saw that in the text. Super quick, because I know we got a lot to finish up with. I want to really fast give you four ways that God disciplines his children. Four ways God disciplines his children. Write these things down. We're going to buzz through them quickly. But number one, God disciplines through his word. Through his word. My, I, I've used this illustration a million times, and I'm going to keep on using it because I think it's so important. The word of God is like a mirror. When you read the word of God, it reflects back and you see what you really look like. What is that? A lot of times that's God's discipline. You ever gone somewhere and realized you should have looked in the mirror first? Your hair was all out of place. There was something hanging right here. Uh, man, something is just janky with, with, with whatever part of your look, right? Something in your teeth, whatever it might be. And you're like, man, I just wish I would have looked in the mirror. God's given us a spiritual mirror. But his openness, he's going to show you. He's going to reveal what you look like. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be discouraging. I mean, sometimes we look in the mirror like, it's a good day. It's, it's a good hair day. Like, hey, thank you, God. I, I used to struggle with that, but I'm not struggling with that anymore. There's a testimony. There's a praise report. God, look what you've done in my life. I'm not saying every time you look in the mirror, it's like, man, I got to go have some surgery done. Like, God, give me a new face. Sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's like, oh, there's, there's something out of place. There's something that doesn't belong here. I know this. There's not too many of us in this room that ever go a day without looking in the mirror. A lot of us in this room don't go an hour without looking in the mirror. What if we took advantage of this like that? How much more in line, how much more holy would our lives be? God disciplines through his word. Secondly, God disciplines through his spirit. I've already talked about it a little bit, but he's put in you his holy Spirit. God has a voice that speaks to us, that loves us, that, that, that points things out. Hey, you need to deal with this. Hey, you need to work on this. Hey, I want you to, 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 to go ahead and make this a project. Go ahead and make this a goal. We're, we're going to walk through a process here to get through dealing with this habit, to get through dealing with this addiction, to get through dealing with that auto response where that word comes out of your mouth, where that finger goes up, where that horn goes off, right? Like, like where you were reacting out of flesh. Let's go ahead and, and, and start this and engage this process. His spirit speaks to us. Now, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He's not often loud. He's gentle. He's kind. See, some of us misinterpret because we had an earthly father who all he ever did was yell, who all he ever did was scream, and God's not yelling and screaming at us, so we think, oh, I'm, I'm good. He ain't talking to me. God doesn't yell and scream at you most of the time. Every once in a while, we might ignore him enough that he has no other choice than to get really loud. But as a rule, this is still. What happens 
what God whispers. We got to lean in. And if you don't lean in, you'll probably miss it. So start leaning into his Holy Spirit. Start inviting his Holy Spirit to speak into your life. He will. He already is. Start asking him to help you to tune your ear to his voice. He disciplines through his word. He disciplines through his spirit. Number three, God disciplines through authority. For time's sake, I'm not going to go there, but the book of Romans actually talks about governmental authority and, and how the, the elected officials, or at that time they weren't elected, just the officials, the emperor, would, would actually bear the sword, bear capital punishment as a representative of God's judgment. That's the way that is designed to work, that, that God uses authority to bring discipline into our lives. So yes, that's governmental authority. If it wasn't for governmental authority with lights on their car, I would probably drive a whole lot faster than I should. But I have been disciplined. Uh, it's 240 bucks for a ticket into Soto County. Not that I know, somebody told me. Uh, I looked it up online. Um, it's expensive. What is it? It's discipline. God uses authority to discipline us. I can tell you, I've served under, I guess, three different pastors as a full-time church employee. And every single one of them, and not to mention just the pastors, but other people who were over me at those churches, got onto me at different points, disciplined me at different points. And I hated it every single time. I'm so grateful that pastors who loved me enough to help develop me, to help me deal with bad habits, to help me deal with the stuff that didn't look like Jesus. Am I a perfect pastor today? Not even close. But I'm a whole lot better pastor today than I would have been if they didn't speak into my life. If they didn't love me enough to say, no, that's not the way that we're going to do things. That's not the way that God has called us to operate. If they didn't do that, God disciplines us through authority. Number four, God disciplines us through circumstances. My belief is this is his least favorite one. My belief is this is God's last resort. My belief is God would much rather let us receive it from his word. Let us hear it from his spirit. Let us receive it from the authority he's put in place, whether that's a boss or a parent or an elder or a small group leader or a ministry director or whoever that person may be that, that we're serving underneath. He would much rather discipline through one, two, and three. But if we won't hear it and we won't have it and we won't adjust to it, through the ways he'd prefer to discipline us. He loves us enough. He's going to let stuff happen. Now, I'm really careful to teach this because oftentimes we immediately jump to something bad's in my life, what I do wrong. And I don't believe that's usually the case. I believe we live in a fallen, broken world. Stuff goes wrong. I believe we live in a world where there's an enemy who's trying to attack us when God's doing something and stuff goes wrong, right? We, we, we just saw it in literally the last chapter. These people literally died. They were sawed in two. They, 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 they were burned to death. They were martyred for the cause of Jesus. They did not, that was not God's punishment. That was not God's judgment. That was not God's discipline. So please don't misinterpret that every bad circumstance, everything that goes wrong in your life, well, that's just because you screwed something up, and so God's out to get you. God is not standing up there with a cosmic lightning bolt looking to send a message every time you, you misstep. 
He's working through his word. He's working through his spirit. He's working through authority. And God is patient. You want to know one of the biggest differences between you and God? God's crazy patient. He is not slow in keeping his promise. We get impatient as parents. We need immediate results. We get frustrated and we act out of emotion and out of the flesh. God doesn't do that. So don't project your issues onto him. But sometimes we've ignored for so long. We've turned a deaf ear. God has no other choice but to allow us to experience the fruit of our choices. See, we do reap what we sow. And it's on a time delay process. Sometimes I wish, man, if I sinned, it was like just hitting my thumb with a hammer. And it's immediate, immediate pain. If there was immediate pain associated with sin, it would be a whole lot easier to move away from it. But again, God doesn't work on an immediate system. Because he's slow and patient and he gives us time. But eventually, he's going to catch up with us. Eventually, he's going to have to discipline us if we keep ignoring his call to holiness. If we keep either ignoring this book or just not even opening it. If we keep turning a deaf ear to his Holy Spirit, our consequences are going to catch up with us. And he will discipline us through circumstances. It's not his desire. It's not his hope. But he loves us enough. He'll bring some temporary pain into our life to get us back on track. And that's the love of God. What does this have to do with an unshakable faith? The enemy wants to use God's discipline to shake your faith. The enemy wants to take what God intended for good and turn it for evil. And so when that discipline comes, whether it's through his word, whether it's through his spirit, whether it's through authority, whether it's through circumstances, we got two choices. I can get angry and resentful and rebellious at God. How dare you deal with me, God? You, you don't know what I'm going through. Yes, he does. Or we can take the hit. Oh, oh, God, I'm sorry. God, I didn't mean to get off track, but I'm sorry for rebelling. I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for choosing something less than your best. We can repent and get it right. Here's the amazing thing. God gives us the choice. The ball's in our court. Can I encourage you today, church? Don't let discipline shake your faith. Let discipline be an encouragement to you. Why? Because it means God loves you. Because it means he hasn't given up on you. Sometimes I need that reminder. I, I haven't strayed so far. The guy said, no, you're on your own, kid. He's still for me. He's still with me. He's still pursuing me. He still loves me. He's still a loving father. That's encouraging. God, thank you for your discipline. If we can get to the place where we could honestly say that, where we could honestly respond to his discipline, sky's the limit for what he could do. So here's my goal today. We're going to pray that we can receive discipline in the heart that it's intended, that we could actually receive it and apply it. I'm going to pray that over each of us. I'm going to challenge you to pray that over yourself. If you're, if you're bold enough, God, I'll receive your discipline. God, God, help me to be aware of it when your word disciplines me. Help me to be aware of it when your spirit disciplines me. And not just be aware of it, but to, 
to respond to it, to go the direction you're asking me to go. God, help me to be aware of it when, when authority disciplines me. And that's really you. And I don't like it and I don't want it. But God, it's worth it to me that I'm going to hear it and respond to it. God, help me to even be aware when it's my circumstances. We're going to pray that and we're going to believe that and we're going to pursue that, that that would not shake our faith, but it would shake off of us all the stuff that doesn't belong so that the foundation, that which cannot be shaken, would remain.